Hello, I'm here again with Christina Gadd on the Trainer Tools podcast. Hi, Christina, how are you? I'm very well, thank you, John. Nice to be back again. Well, it's nice to have you back uh, yet again, because the, the fourth or the fifth time or whatever it is now on this podcast, as we work through your five secrets of accelerated learning. So I think this is the fourth one, because we did the five secrets sort of as an overall thing. And now today we're on the uh, the third secret. So this will be the fourth one, in fact. You're right. It's because the first one we split into two because it was quite long. So I split it into two. Oh, yes. That's what it was. Yeah. That was in, in my mind. So yes, you're right. It's actually the sort of the, the fourth recording. Yes. Yeah. So. But yeah, I'm very you, looking forward to it. Yeah, well, me too. I always enjoy our conversations. And let's see if we can get through this one without falling out with Gary Platt, as we did last time. Oh, well, I definitely don't want to fall out with Gary Platt. Definitely not. Well, we didn't really. I'm exaggerating, oh, of course. I know. Um, you just had a, a very minor disagreement. And the reason I'm saying that is because is, is I know that you we, we're going to very briefly mention Kolb. And in the last podcast with Gary, we did talk about that in a lot more depth. So we won't go into any great depth on this podcast about that. No, no, I think best not to. Yeah, well, we, we don't want to upset Gary. No, no, <laughs> definitely not. Well, what, what are you going to take us through then? What are you going to talk about today? Um, well, today is the third of the five secrets, and it's about the learners. Um, they do come in all shapes and sizes, learners, and so really it's about um, designing with variety in mind, and that's what the third secret's about, designing with variety in mind. So that's what we're going to talk about. Right, well, I think this is a very interesting one, actually, to compliment, as I was saying, that discussion with Gary, because he was talking a lot about learning styles and all of that kind of stuff. And when you first mentioned this secret, that's what I assumed you were talking about. So it's really quite oh, interesting that's... that you've taken a different approach anyway. So I think this quite yeah. complements our earlier discussions about learning styles and their lack of usefulness. So it'll be yeah. interesting. Mm, yes, well, do you want to start just by giving people just a quick recap of the five secrets in the very, very unlikely uh, circumstance where they haven't listened to the previous podcasts? Absolutely. So the first one is about uh, business-focused and learner-centered objectives, and that being the most important one. Being a facilitator and not a trainer, so that's a, a mindset shift. And the learners, designing with variety in mind, which is the one we're focusing in on today. Um, the environment, which is sort of like making sure you've got the right environment for learning, physical, social and emotional. And then the brain. How does it learn best? So that's them in a nutshell. Great. OK, well, now we're going to drill down into a lot more detail on this third one, which is about designing for the learners, designing with variety in mind. Yeah. Absolutely. So how do you want to take us? How do you want to take us through it? Well, I, the, I suppose there are models that I have in mind that I use um, and, I, and I can sort of tell, talk people through how I actually use those models and how useful they are and in what circumstances and also I suppose what my take is on, on the best way to actually introduce variety. So yeah, let's do that. Okay, so you're going to walk us through the number of models which help inform how you will consider designing learning sessions. Can I just yes. check, first of all, are you limiting the scope of this discussion to being classroom? Or are you thinking what might be beyond a training room as well? That's a really good question because well, I don't well, believe... Though. Yes, started with a good question because I don't believe that accelerated learning is just, um, just for the classroom. It's for any situation, really, where people are learning. And so... You know, whatever learning intervention you're designing, you can use these principles. And I think 
yeah, just any situation really. So not confined to classrooms. But would it be true to say that you must think beyond the training room if you're doing accelerated learning? Absolutely, yes. And that's that's why I like the David Mayer model, the accelerated learning model, because it actually starts way beyond or before um, you ever get into a classroom, if you do get into a classroom, and it goes beyond um, the end of whatever learning intervention you've had and goes into performance on the job. So that's why I like it, because it's actually quite realistic, because learning isn't done in isolation just for learning's sake in in an organisation, not very often. I must be careful how I word that, because sometimes people do learn for learning's sake, but it's mostly, I would say, learning, um, the sort that we're talking about, is done to improve performance. And so it's not done in isolation. And so there has to be some sort of link at the end with someone's performance. That's why I like David Mayer's model. Well, you, is that where you want to start with? Uh, it's David Mayer's yeah. accelerated learning cycle, isn't it? Do you want to start with that yes. one? Well, talk us through it. Give us a bit more detail on it. Do you know, it's so simple, really, really simple. There's four P's in it. The first one is the preparation phase. And so in the preparation phase, not only are you preparing as a facilitator to to be able to um, help people to learn, so that might include the needs analysis as well, but you are preparing the learners to learn as well. So rather than them coming in cold, so it's a little bit like a warm-up act. You know, if you go and see a comedian, or a a band, they always have a warm-up act. So the preparation phase is that warm-up, get them ready to learn. Um, Don't don't sort of just start straight away, you know, with a face-to-face or just with whatever it is, learning intervention. Actually warm them up, get them thinking beforehand. Think about how you're going to do that. And I like to arouse... I like to arouse learners' curiosity as well. Um, That's a key part. If people are curious... They are more likely to be engaged. They'll have questions to ask. And so part of the preparation phase is about arousing that curiosity. I'm always slightly suspicious of any model which has four Ps or something like that. I always find that quite annoying. (laughs) But uh, Well, they always end up crowbarring something in or using the wrong word just to kind of make the model work. So so I'm always a bit suspicious of that. It always feels like somebody's just whacked it out and put it in a blog post or something. But let let me get past my prejudice here because you gave it a rock and roll analogy. So now I like it again because now it's about rock and roll warming up bands and stuff. Absolutely. Yes. So, So let's drill down in how we arouse people's curiosity. So you arouse people's curiosity by asking them some questions. So let's say that the learning is about what could it be about? Think of a topic, John. How about uh, negotiation skills? Okay, so what you might do um, is you might say to somebody, when was the last time you went into a negotiation and you came out with exactly what you wanted? What was that like? What did it feel like? What did you do? And so you would pose those questions so that they're ready to come in and actually start discussing. And I really, really like to start with something positive rather than, oh, when were you really rubbish at negotiating and what happened, what did you do wrong? I'd rather concentrate because time's precious in face-to-face. I'd rather concentrate on what actually works in practice, you know, what have you done well? So things like that, you know, just it might be a short video. Um, So it might be a a clip from YouTube about a negotiation um, that's gone well 
or it's not gone so well or maybe critique something. Uh, maybe there's a model or just an introduction and it needn't be that long. I prefer for, for things to be short but really get people thinking about what is it about negotiation, you know? So get them puzzling over something and curious as well. So it's, so it's asking questions, getting them to reflect, getting them to think, as you say, puzzling over stuff, and but in a positive way. You, you prefer the yeah. positive pitch as a, as a start. I would prefer the positive because you could spend an awful lot of time saying, yeah, well, this went wrong or whatever. I mean, I'm not, just, I'm not saying that don't ever discuss, you know, what might have gone wrong. I mean, you may set aside some time um, in the face-to-face -face bit if there is one. Um, maybe looking at common mistakes, you know, and so let's see how we actually solve them. And again, it's sort of like the positive side of it rather than just moaning about what could possibly go wrong. So it's looking to build people up and it's looking at it in a positive way. So you mentioned then also about puzzling. The example you gave was, was more reflective, as in I'm thinking about when I've been in that situation, I'm thinking about when it's worked. So I'm reflecting on the factors that contributed to my success, I guess, and I'm also feeling positive about it. Mm -hmm. I, I guess I'm feeling motivated a bit as well because I think, wow, I can do this. But you mentioned puzzling, which I think is a different thing, a different word. Because now yeah. you're sort of getting me to kind of like, I don't know, crack a code or maybe there's some gamification kind of angle. I don't know. Is, is there something more in that? Well, there could be. There could be um, a quiz or some something where you're looking at maybe definitions or something and you're trying to match something. So, again, sort of trying to fit in the pieces or where does negotiation come in this process and where does it fit in with selling or marketing or whatever so that sort of puzzling as in how does it all fit together so it's sort of preparing the brain to to think about the context of what you're actually learning um, and that context then gives also some meaning to the learners and also that what's in it for them so really really as you said it's the warming up thing we're warming up the brain we're warming up the curiosity absolutely and in this preparation phase it's not just preparing them it's obviously preparing ourselves as well i'm guessing yeah i mean david mayer doesn't specifically talk about needs analysis but i like to include it in there i like to have some sort of analysis that we've not just sort of stuck our fingers in the air and sort of said oh this is what we need we've actually uh, identified something we've we've dug dug a bit deeper and we found out what it is they need. So that, that preparation phase is, is as much for the facilitator, I think, as, as for the learner. And the preparation for the facilitator has got to be, you know, how are they going to, how are they going to approach it? What's, what's going to happen afterwards as well? So that whole thing about how are you going to just approach the whole thing? Who's going to come? To this learning who's going to be there uh, what sort of people are there any issues um, so just preparing in a whole in a in a whole sort of way right and does that include preparing other things around that like for example the line manager what they might have to do in terms of helping the person implement the learning or yes absolutely. or other things like the environment that they will go back and work in the team that they will work with perhaps i don't know yeah, I, th I think so. It can cover that as well. So especially the line manager, creating that contact with the line manager who's going to help embed the learning. Because to be, to be honest, if you go on, if you go into some sort of learning intervention and then you go back to the workplace, 
the line manager knows nothing about it and they're sort of like watching them still making the same mistakes. What was the point of them actually doing any learning? So the line manager has to have some involvement. So that part is is really key as well. Yeah, I'm glad I, I, you asked that question, John. Yeah, so am I. So am I. Because I think it is the key factor. I really believe that the role of line managers in work in general is is the fundamental thing. It's not glamorous, so it doesn't get the attention of things like leadership. But I do think management is where it's at, really, because they're, they're the people that make the weather day to day in your work yeah. environment. They're the ones that give you your performance appraisals. They're the ones that, you know, are most closely linked to giving you things like feedback and work distribution. You have a close relationship with them, ideally, anyway. <laughs> you should do. So, and those are the people that if you if you have learned something new, and it may not be error correction, as, as you just alluded to. It could be, you know, you're learning just entirely new skills or, or very soft skills that are less clear when you're getting them right or wrong. But when you come back, obviously, there may well be a period of deterioration of performance as you're trying to adapt to a new behavior. And your manager has to understand that and has to know how to support you in that. Yeah, and this could be for a whole other podcast, of course, but I really, really do believe that um, line managers should learn lots more about how people learn so they understand so that they're not just prescribing training courses, that they understand beyond just a training course because that's to me is a bit of a sticking plaster oh god i couldn't agree with you more if we were actually in the same room i'd be high-fiving you like crazy at the moment chris because that's well, one we of could my do big... a virtual high-five we could do, we could do a virtual we... one we go could on. go on then i am i'm doing a high-five now there we go yep done it because this is this is one of my big hobby horses i'm always banging is on it? about this about well individual learning literacy absolutely but the role of managers and the role of managers in helping people develop and learn so that's that that starts at the beginning it starts with identification it starts with um challenging them feedback it starts with and then helping them pick what is the right kind of you know collection of activities to help them acquire skill giving them space to do that Mm. um offering them advice and coaching mentoring you know all of that it's all the line manager if it all if if learning and development comes down to somebody goes on a training course and the line manager let them go and that's the end of their obligation then we might as well pack up and go home, quite frankly. Absolutely, absolutely. I, I couldn't agree with you more, John, honestly. I couldn't agree with you more. You're right, though. It's another it's podcast. So it is. It's another, another podcast, podcast, isn't it? Like how to make line it's, managers into great L&D line managers or something. Yeah. Well, I've been working with a, a client sort of um, in the last in this last year, actually doing that, turning some team leaders um into better line managers by helping them learn about learning so yeah we'll do another one definitely we should do because otherwise you'll be typecast as anyway as accelerated learning person so it will give you a chance to break out of that absolutely yes great okay so uh, that was the first p of um david mayer's accelerated learning model which is around preparation and it's mainly around preparation of the learner and their line manager is the main part of it yeah. Although, although you vote crowbar in the the uh, hour preparation as well. Yeah. What what, well, what are like the other? To. Yeah. Well. No, yeah. I mean, it has to go in there somewhere, doesn't it? So it might as well. It has to. It's yeah. not a perfect model. It's just one that I like to use because my five secrets cover everything else anyway. So that's that's fine. So the next one is um, is probably the one that you might think has been sort of shoehorned in is the presentation phase and that implies that you you present the new learning in a presentation style but it's not it's not presentation style it's just when the learners encounter 
the new material and that material could be in lots and lots of different forms and that's the huge that's a huge great big thing about it is that it's got to be in lots of different formats you know it could be um, an article that they read it could be a short a short youtube clip it could be a matching activity it could be a discussion it could be a whole host of things but the presentation phase is really about this is where they encounter the new learning Right, so it's not presentation in the sense of, or not necessarily presentation in the sense of being, uh, you know, in a classroom, which is what it sounds like, the word presentation. No, and you're absolutely it right, it does sound totally crowbarred in, you're absolutely right. Yeah, so that's the only one, I think, that, that you might object to. Once you move on to the next one, I think you'll you'll probably feel a little bit more comfortable and you'll be will a bit I? more forgiving. You will, you will, definitely, yeah. All, all right then, all right. Well, uh, you've already kind of introduced them to the learning because you've got them curious in the previous phase. So this yeah. is the kind of the big point of the main bit of learning. So, okay, let's let's move on then into more comfortable territory. Okay, so the next phase is the practice phase. So having given them something new um, or something to discuss or an, an activity or whatever, let them actually practice it. And that doesn't mean to say that it has to be a skill thing. It could be that they're making sure that they actually know what they're supposed to know and they can do what they're supposed to be able to do. And so this is in a safe environment. This isn't sort of back in the workplace. This is actually there so that you can observe them. So it may be it that may be a quiz. It may be a game. It may be a Q&A session. It may be observing them, um, demonstrating something. So, again, a whole host of things, but variety is the key in, the, in this instance. So that's the practice phase. Okay. Pure and so, simple. Give them a, let them have a go. Yeah, lots of different ways of doing stuff, but in the controlled environment, you mean? Yes. Yes, absolutely. But it's it's basically an opportunity for them to realise what it is that they actually now know or can do, and and actually that for that to be confirmed. And um, there's a book that I've been reading. I've read it now, actually. It's called Make It Stick. And one of the uh, one of the things which really struck me in this book is that it talks about retrieval being such an important part of learning. So this is a really key phase that the testing which is retrieval really, isn't just so that we know, we've got that warm glow that people know it. It's actually part of the learning process. There is something goes on in the brain that helps it embed. It's, it's that, that process of actually trying to pull it out and use it, um, you know, practically, that actually is part of the learning. What was the name of the book? It's called Make It Stick. Is that Barbara Carnes or something like that? I've read no, a book. No, no. Yeah. It's um, the the subtitle is the science of successful learning, and it's by Peter C. Brown, Henry L. Rodiger, I think the third. Not sure how to pronounce that one. It and sounds Mark, American, doesn't he? Yeah, Mark Ro- A. Rodiger. Rodiger. That's how it's spelt, anyway. But if you Google it, make it stick, and Peter C. Brown comes up. Very very useful book. I also have been doing some visual summaries of this so um i could include some of those if you wanted me to but you to put on the website yeah do that please yeah I'll, yeah i'll bung them up but yeah okay well that's a good book as well that i can uh, that you're recommending then make it stick sounds of successful learning peter c brown henry l rodiger or something the third yeah yeah uh, and mark a mcdaniel i've got here which is harvard that's university right. press yes yeah so good book 
And they were talking about retrieval being a really vital part of learning. So that practice phase is really, really vital because it gives the learners the opportunity to put into practice what they know or can do. And I think it also gives them confidence to say, all oh, right, OK. And it gives them confidence to then go back to the workplace and go, well, I've already tried it in the practice in in the actual workshop i'm just gonna put it into practice now for real so yeah 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 i mean i think it's it's fairly well agreed and understood that you've got to give people time to practice and even if that means reducing the amount of content you're trying to get across you shouldn't squeeze the practice and i know i'm saying obvious things here and i'm sure listeners to this are are far more sophisticated than than they would make that mistake but I, i have seen that so many times where people will squeeze things like practice sessions in order to yeah. just get across vast quantities of content and it's just ineffective yeah. and, and how many times Absolutely. have you done it where you get to the point of practice and you think you've got the point across everyone thinks they know it you then get them to practice it and they can't do it yeah even simple Far things better. you know like giving yeah. feedback following a bit a basic feedback model even stuff yeah. like that you, you know you you think well they've got that that's all right we can move on you give them a practice session and they make a right ash of it you need yeah. the practice. You really do. Absolutely. So, yeah, so that's an important phase. But that is clearly, that is clearly, according to David Mayer, that is part of the learning process. Um, and that is within the scope as if it was part, partly face to face or if it was online or whatever, that would be within that learning phase as well. And it's not until the, the final one that goes beyond the actual learning and then goes into the workplace and the final one you'll be pleased to hear is the performance phase which sounds exactly as it should really so that again there are many ways to actually to to do this but the line managers need to be involved and if you haven't involved them at the beginning it's going to be harder to involve them at this phase and really in all honesty the facilitator might not have that much involvement at this phase other than actually wanting to know how successful it's been but actually in terms of um, you know reacting with the learners that's going to be the line manager's role whoever's actually giving feedback you know on their performance so the final phase is crucial it's sort of like you know completing that circle and we've we started off by looking at what the need is in the job and now we're going to actually look at how it's affected their performance so yeah I like I like that model because it's sort of it's practical and it fits in the workplace really there are other models which are applicable to academics academic circles um Alistair Smith's cycle for instance um and if if people are in academic circles that um, listen to these podcasts, you can have a look at Alistair Smith's cycle instead. But David May is very good, I think, for organisational learning. Well, I don't know that Alistair Smith's one. I'll have a look at that afterwards. What other models are you including in this, in your thinking, when you are designing sessions, thinking accelerated learning? Okay, so the David Mayer model, the book itself has got lots of examples, which has got variety in it, of how you can do each one of those phases. So I'm always looking at ways that actually um, I can introduce variety. And for instance, um, Howard Gardner's Multiple Intelligences, you've got the eight intelligences. And so if you are looking at how you're going to make your learning have variety in it, then just look at 
those different intelligences. So, you know, have some pictures in for the visual spatial, you know, intelligence. Have something which involves sort of that um, reflection time for the interpersonal, no, intrapersonal, I should say. Um, have some discussions, you know, for the interpersonal intelligence. So you can use these really, really easily just to, to think, right, okay, um, I'm using the same old types of activities. It's always discussion followed by flip chart or PowerPoint or whatever. Get some variety in there. So how would you design? So look at something like Howard Gardner's and think, right, well, so how am I going to introduce something that appeals to the linguistic intelligence? Does that make sense, John? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, re I read about, I think I read his book about, I don't know, 10 years ago or something. And I found it absolutely fascinating. And mm. I turned out to be a spatial mathematician, by the way, which surprised, oh, right. it surprised me because um, yeah. I, I didn't realise I was like that. But anyway, I am. But just uh -huh. on your point that you said about the visual, uh, spatial people want to see visual images. Because interestingly, I'm not very visual at all, but I'm spatial. So I do like to kind of see things drawn out and diagrammatically. But it's not the aesthetic appeal of it. It's it's the spatial description. Yeah, and they're, and and they're two very different things. So yeah. when when people put those kind of abstract pictures of like a horse, and they go yeah. right now we're going to talk about I don't know uh, I can't think of an example that fits of a horse now negotiation mm -hmm. skills and here's a horse that to me is just means absolutely nothing. Yeah, and I get that. I get that. But what what I'm saying is that, you know, that not all of these things will appeal to everybody at the same time. But if you have a variety in your learning, then it's going to appeal to people, but also give them that variety that they're not stuck with the same re repetition of the same types of different learning activities. Sharon Bowman, I don't know whether you've come across her, she wrote a book called Brain Science to Make Training Stick. And in it, she talks a little bit, not that much about the actual brain science, but actually about what you can do to mix it up a bit and to get that variety in there. Uh, and she does it. You know, you know the principle of trumps in cards? Yes. So something trumps something else. So basically, if you do one thing, it's better than something else. So she's got basically six trumps. And the, the, this particular model, what I really like about it is that if you are actually running um, a face-to-face -face workshop and you feel like things are getting a bit sluggish and people aren't really paying attention. You want to mix it up a little bit. You can actually use some of these things on the fly, you know, change some of what you're doing if you feel it's not quite hitting the mark. So her six trumps are, one of the first ones is movement trump sitting. So that's a really, really easy one. So let's imagine they've been sitting down for quite a while and you start to notice people are drifting off a bit, not quite paying attention. So get them around a flip chart, get them just moving, because just by doing that, there's more oxygen goes to the brain and they are energized by doing it. So you don't need to do an energizer. You can just energize them by making them move, you know, and go and stand by a flip chart or go and partner up with somebody and, you know, have a discussion about it. So partner up with somebody over the other side of the room and have a discussion. Just get some movement introduced. So that's the first of the... I'll just um, say on that as well, is, yeah? is quite often you might meet resistance or you might think, oh, I better not. I don't want to annoy them. They're all quite settled. I just say push through that as you oh, so rightly gosh, say yeah. movement yeah. they'll forget that in a second movement does trump sitting totally agree 
Absolutely. And actually, I I rarely meet with resistance in, in terms of that because I always say to people, okay, we've been sitting for quite a while. It'll be great for you to get out of your chairs just to get a little bit more energy um, and just get to, you to think differently as well. So I do sort of like, you know, frame it so that people know why I'm doing it, not just sort of randomly, you know, jump up or whatever. And I'm not really into all that sort of stuff. But um, so the next Trump is is talking, Trump's listening. So if you have, um, and I'm not saying you can't use presentation style because sometimes, you know, to mix it up, you might present on a particular topic for a short period of time. And so get them to talk instead of listen. So get somebody to summarize something, get them to discuss it. So, you know, again, if they're doing something for more than about 20 minutes, because um, Sharon Berman suggests that mixing up stuff every 20 minutes or so, that doesn't mean to say you have to stop and start and do something completely different, but just a, a change in pace, tone or pitch of what you're actually doing. So, you know, you could go from standing, from, from sitting to standing and then back again. You could actually then, you know, listen for a while and then get them to discuss and you keep it moving and flowing and that engagement going by that variety. Yeah, absolutely. Again, fantastic advice. I don't have anything to say, really. I just think that's a really good point. Yeah. So the next one is writing Trump's reading. And again, it's all backed up in a book by, you know, brain science, you know, why that is is better for you. So and I know this. They're, they're all just kind of act, active Trump's passive, aren't they? Yes. Yeah. Or well, it, it, it is. And and the thing is that from that book, Make It Stick, the other thing that I read in there, which was really, really crucial, is that, you know, making notes when people say, oh, don't bother making notes because we've already got notes for you. So don't bother. And actually, that's a really, really great way to learn putting stuff into your own words rearranging it arranging the concept so that you understand it putting it into your own words fabulous way of learning so instead of putting copious notes out to the learners leave blank spaces for them to put it in their own words you know so get them to write stuff down that's a really good idea yeah yeah and then images trump words we do remember images better than we remember a whole sequence of words and so if you've got images or you you get them to draw a poster or summarize something or whatever get them to do it in pictures and images rather than words how many is that how many is that that's four so we've got two more to go got two more to go i'm just going to try and guess got... what they are okay um so they're all they're all something around. Well, the first three were around active Trump's passive. The next one wasn't. The next one was around our visual. The fact that human beings are very visual. So I'm going to guess mm -hmm. the next one must involve something to do with the social aspect. Actually, no, there isn't anything about social, but that oh, could be the seventh yeah. Trump. It should be. Do you know what? I I'll I'll claim that as my own idea. No, I won't. I'll tell them you suggested. We're on the it. record here, Chris. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, I forgot that. Just for one brief second, I forgot that. But actually, yes. Yeah, so together would actually trump alone. alone. Yes, I would say so. Not always true, probably, but, you know, predominantly true, I think. Yeah, I think, again, collaborative learning, um, that sort of safety, again, I think, you know, that, that helps learners, you know, get over that fear of getting stuff wrong if you're safety in numbers and everything. So Plus just having those kind of social interactions, conversations generates knowledge in itself because you have to articulate yourself. Which I suppose yeah. is captured a little bit with Talking Trump's writing, or whatever it was. Talking Trump's listening, sorry. Yes, yeah. Okay, and I'm going to guess again then. I'm going to guess something around practice or practical application. 
Trump's abstractness. No, no. no but oh, I give up. I give Trump. up. Okay. So shorter Trump's longer. So oh, go yeah, that's for a good one. short, sharp, little bite-sized bits of learning rather than great big swathes of learning and practice that stuff, you know? So shorter Trump's longer. And then the last one is different Trump's the same. So again, it's like mix it up. Make sure you're doing things differently. If you, you probably will have preferred ways to actually deliver learning. And, you know, you probably like to have a little bit of presentation, maybe a bit of flip chart exercise, maybe an activity. Look at some different ways of doing it. Mix it all up. Do it differently because that gets people's attention as well. And in case you are stumped at what you can do that's different, I'm actually at the moment creating some short videos, 100 Ways to Learn. And it's, yeah, they're being published every day. One of these 100 Ways to Learn is being published and it's, it'll be on YouTube and the LPI are promoting them. So you can have a look at these. So if you're stumped as to all the different ways to learn, find other ways that you can actually learn, but mix it up, get some variety in there. And that, that for me is really the essence of it. So for me, David Mayer, Multiple Intelligences and Sharon Bowman overlaid with, and we will just touch on obviously Cole very, very, very briefly, overlaid with, give them some practical stuff, give them some reflection time, give them some theories and models and give them a chance to actually look at the practical application of what they're learning as well. And and that's really, for me, in a nutshell, what it's about, that, that third secret. Well, to me, that sounds that sounds good. And I, I'm okay with applying Kolb to stuff. And I, I know we're not going to dwell on this because we've discussed it ad nauseum, but I'm okay with Kolb because I think it's it's a pragmatic model that tends to work and gives you that structure. You can't go around it, you know, you know, uh, the word you can't just go around it systematically and go you know right now we're going to have some experience now we're going to do some reflection because it's it's you know quite labored if you do but i do think it's a good checklist to make sure that you are actually giving time for those things and again reflections a very easy one to squeeze if you're running out of time and you really shouldn't yeah and i do find that you know um some of the comments that i get if i run workshops and that you know depending on who's there you know some people will say Oh yeah, there was just the right amount of reflection, and I needed that because I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a reflector. And then some people will say, "Oh, I, I could have done with a bit more reflection time, whatever." So there's always comments about it. So I do try and build in some reflection, just so that people don't feel rushed, because I think that's what happens: is that people feel rushed if you don't have that reflection time. And theories and models are always um, useful, just ways of remembering stuff, you know, so that. You've got something to hang your hat on. You know, when something comes up in negotiation skills, you need some sort of, you know, four steps or five steps that you can call to mind quickly so that you know what it is you're supposed to be doing. Yeah, and I think on, on both those points, on, on theory you just mentioned then, for somebody like me who likes that kind of thing, if you're not giving me the theory, I'm sitting there thinking, well, where's all this come from then? You know, is this just yeah. something you made up on the bus on the way in? <laughs> which is which doesn't make it wrong by the way i have done that before but i, I do tell people i just made this up because it's my way of describing something but then i will give them yeah. the theory it comes from i'll give yes. them that so it's got some kind of depth to it 
um, so, so for a lot of people, they will want to see that or they will be suspicious of the quality of the content anyway. Yes. Although yeah. it doesn't necessarily need to clog up the session. It could be reference material. Ah, and this is where David Mayer comes in as well, because actually what I really like to do is actually have short videos that I send to people of some of the theories and models that we're going to be putting into practice beforehand so they get a chance to use it. Because I don't know about you, John, but I find sometimes if, I, if I'm looking at a new model, I'm like going, what? What's that? What is it? And then I'm like, I'm, I'm trying to think what it's about and all the rest of it. And then we're moving on into how do we apply it? And I'm like, oh, steady on a minute. I haven't got my head around what these things mean yet, these words mean. And so for me, I know that um, a lot of the time it's actually really helpful if I get these things beforehand. And so I quite often do that. Some of the, the models that I use, I've got like short little videos that I send people so that we don't have to labor it and we don't have that sort of, oh, I don't, I really don't get that. They've already seen it. It's familiar, you know, and it's not brand new. It's sort of like, it's, it's a bit like throwing mud at a wall, you know, and little by little, it ends up sticking. So I'm never, I'm never worried about sort of giving people almost the same information, but in different formats throughout a program. So, you know, they might get a little video about something, but I might also send them an article on that same thing. Um, so it gives them a different perspective. They might do an activity on it uh, and they might have a discussion on it. So there's lots of different ways in which they will actually be, be retrieving that information or actually be practicing how to do whatever it is they're learning to do. I think that's really good. And I think in general, knowledge transfer should be outside of the training room. It should be in multiple formats, visual, audio, uh, in a book, some sort of written format as well. And the, the multiple, so you're hitting multiple intelligences and, and multiple communication styles. People can then also go back to it and refresh it afterwards. It's not, it doesn't just pass them by in the night when they're not concentrating. Yeah, and, and, it, and it moves learning from being a one-time event to being a process and a continuum. So, you know, you're walking along a path, you learn a little bit about this, you learn a little bit about that. Oh, I've forgotten about this, so I'll go back to that. So you're constantly moving along a path, but, but you're sort of learning along the way, but you might revisit certain things, so the path might loop back. I think the, the, the only potential danger with when things get too kind of loose in that sense is the, the role of a facilitator, I think, is very much as a guide, a guide through, a, you know, a myriad of content, sort of a creator come guide. And if things are kind of left a bit too loose, where I've got to find my own way through, then I'm never quite sure if I've done everything properly, if I've done things, if I've read everything I'm supposed to have read. And, and it's quite nice to kind of at least have a route plotted for me and things that I need to do so I can sort of think, okay, I've done it now, I've got it, I'm at the right point. And I quite like that kind of structure. Well, I do too, actually, John. You must know that having gone through yeah, I do that really. objectives. Really, you know that. And that's where... You can do a bit of meandering, but you know ultimately what you're trying to achieve. You know, you know quite clearly by the end, you're going to be able to list the seven principles of or describe or explain or whatever um, or demonstrate. You know exactly what you're trying to do. And so, you know, you you might actually choose different methods, you know, so you might have three different ways of actually learning something. But yeah it could end up if you don't have clear objectives it could end up you're meandering and you don't actually ever get anywhere 
But that's not what I'm suggesting. I'm suggesting there could be lots of different ways in which you learn the same thing. So you're giving people opportunities to learn the same thing in different ways to give them that opportunity to to code it and to remember it in different ways with different senses, different experiences, just to make it a richer, more memorable learning experience. Great. I think that's such an important point that it has to link back to that objective. So it's clear. You did that on purpose, didn't you, John? Just you well, did, I, didn't you? I wish I had, actually. I didn't realise I'd been that clever until you tied it back all back together then. Yeah. So I'm not going to lie about it. I thought you had. I thought you well, we could just. I should have bluffed you, it. You should just scrub this bit out and just say, yes, I did, actually. I remembered the first secret. And so that's why I brought it up, Christina. I should have I should have done that, but I'm just too honest. I'm too much of an honest honest chap. Oh. Couldn't bring myself to do it when push came to shove. I just had to blurt out the truth. I'd be a rubbish spy. I really would. Yeah. Well, is that a job option at the moment? Not really, quite frankly. Okay. No. Um. Is Is there anything else in this bit that we need to discuss? I don't think so. I for me, it's it's a very simple message about the learners. This third secret. It's about variety. Design for variety. And you know, I use some models to help people get that variety. You know, so if it's multiple intelligences, if it's Sharon Bowman, if it's David Mayer or whatever, just get that variety in there because that's the way that you are going to engage people rather than using the same old methods all the time. And and we're glad that we didn't use learning styles because we all listeners to this podcast now, I think, largely don't like them. But don't be afraid of don't be afraid of looking at things like Kolb because Kolb, again, is, is, is a useful checklist as well. So. So do activities, yeah. But do be afraid of learning styles. So, But let's not go there again. And let's not do that, no. Let's not. Listen, thanks very much, Chris. And if th- there's kind of more depth in a way on this because the fifth secret is all about the, the brain, isn't it? And how the brain learns. Yes, so absolutely. In, in, in a sense, we now we're talking about designing for variety, whereas we yeah. really go into the brain and how people learn much more in the fifth secret, which will come up at some point in the next few months. Yes, well, I hope so. I hope so. We'll have a little set then, won't we? A little box set. We yeah, we box could. sets on pod- podcasts. Uh, yeah, people do bundle stuff up and charge for it, so I'm sure we'll uh, find a way of doing that. <laughs> get, some, get some cash out of this. Might as well. Yeah. All right then, we'll do that. Yeah. No, it's been a, it's been an absolute pleasure, John. I really enjoyed it, and um, yeah, nice to cross off yet another secret off the list. Yeah, great. Thanks very much, Chris. See you again. See you again. Bye.